With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello and welcome to the latest episode of the brighton rock podcast the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game with me russell driver my co-host peter isn't with us today but i will be joined um with uh, one of our lovely sponsors, uh, Mr. Raymond Wright, the gent, who will be uh, talking through his opinions on Caicedo and the transfer window and what he thinks of the season so far. And, of course, about the game at the weekend in which we got another victory, cracking one of our tough nuts, uh, Bournemouth, along the way. All of that to come up. But first of all, and um, before the match, I took a little bit of audio um, with Duncan, John and Chris, friends of the show, um, outside the Amex before the match. And also caught up with a um, Japanese TV guy who was also in the vicinity at the same time. So let's hear that first and then it'll be back with me and with Raymond. And so we turn our attentions to the next week of football. We're outside the Amex. It's pre-Bournemouth. We're not doing a match today special. This is just part of our next episode, broadcast midweek. Uh, I'm with Duncan, I'm with John, and I'm with Chris. Uh, Chris, you were at the Liverpool game last weekend, weren't you? FA Cup? No, you weren't. John wasn't. Duncan, were you there? Yes. All right, Duncan. Better start with me, then. Let's start with you. What do you think of the game last week? Firstly, uh, really great that you've organised the Samba band for us. Yeah, by personal arrangements. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game. Um, well, everyone's talked about it and dissected it, but just amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what a winner. Uh, incredible, incredible, incredible goal at the end. I resigned myself for the last 20 minutes thinking they were going to nick it. So the pleasure and the enjoyment was just completely yeah. uh, went exponential at the end there when we got it. Put on hold, of course, by fucking VAR. Exactly. But then we the celebrated twice. Double bubble. Double bubble. And what do you think um, about amazing. Liverpool turning into Leeds in the last 15 minutes? <laughs> No, fantastic. Bless them. Bless them. They no, were the dirtiest, dirtiest yeah. team. I mean, Fabinho just, he, he knew he was going to be sent off with a red card. The look on his face. Yeah. When yeah. he, he watched the old match of the day after, 
and then uh, and then absolutely nothing. And subsequently, all the post-match analysis, all the commentators, pundits, uh, referees yeah. have all said that's a straight red. And <laughs> my mate Matthew the Gooner in our midweek pubcast, yeah. which I'm sure you've already listened to. Don't I you? have actually. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of background noise. Yes, there was and a I lot think there's a theme. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're keeping that going. But he said that Klopp had a permanent look of confusion yeah. on his face, or does in general now. Yeah. I mean, he must do. Well, it must be. Uh, Punch drunk uh, look really after having a couple yeah. of games at the Albion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a club fusion is that? What? <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> right, switch it to Chris. I know you weren't at the game, Chris. We've no. just discovered, but you watched the game, no doubt. I did. Do you have any agitations about how yeah. the officiating went, or is there any more to say about the game on top of what Duncan said on the positive side? I think Gilmore changed it up a bit when he came on. Yeah. I think it was. Um, yeah, he definitely stepped in his ship. Probably laid the platform for the winning goal. Um, I'm not sure how much of it was him and or how much of it was Liverpool's poor substitutions. But yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad he's starting today, so I think he deserves it. Yeah. Just um, distracting me in the background, Duncan's now gone off to chat to four Oriental-looking guys who've got Albion scarves on, uh, who do look very Japanese to me. I think they are. I, I can distinguish. As my other half is well, is, is is from that area. I think Matoma started. Just a quick word, John, about Mitama. Mitama. Let's get the name right here. Mitama. He's uh, he's something else, isn't he? The goal loss uh, last week was actually beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Work of art. Yeah. Allison's dad was on the last uh, the match day special, and he said he reckons that's the best forward he's ever seen play for the club. Would you go that far, or do we need to wait a while for that? That's some Good. accolade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been watching since the 70s, yeah, yeah, early yeah. 70s. He's got a lot more experience than yeah. I have, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, he does look amazing. I've just been speaking to those Japanese television crew. So they are Japanese, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they said he's, he's going to be much better than he is now. That's what they just said. <laughs> <laughs> Who do they think they are? Roberto Di Serbi? What they're saying is on 60% of his potential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. They said just wait. Yeah. Well, that's the pre-match vibe, just to get the, a sense of the atmosphere today. As Duncan just mentioned, there's a Japanese TV crew, all in Albion tops and scarves, I hasten to add. Another lady randomly walking by of Oriental uh, description as well. This is this is going off the scale, isn't it? Where yeah. the hell's this all come from? Yeah. And where are they getting the tickets? It's almost <laughs> as though we've got a very popular Japanese players playing for us <laughs> and scored, scoring goals for us. So it's, He's uh, going to score today, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I almost uh, so I'd like to see a goal for Lampsy today as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he deserves one. Let's do it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Absolutely. It's former today. Yeah. We really need to be now. At least Howe's not in the equation. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, amidst these throbbing beats from my left, uh, we'd better cut this off and get some beer in. <laughs> okay, one more bit from pre Bournemouth. We've just been chatting with Minyok, who is a Japanese gentleman who is with Japanese media here for the first time at the Amex Stadium as well. Welcome to Brighton. Welcome to the Amex. How have you found? Oh, it's an early experience. We're outside the ground before the game. But how have you found it? It's really amazing atmosphere here. Yeah. Like lots of people and nice music around. Yeah, <laughs> quite loud music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us where you're from, from in terms of the media and what what, what exactly your your we, uh, remit is. From TV Asahi. Yeah. And following the 
my Toma. Ah, okay. Surprise, yeah, surprise. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so the media company you're with is that? It's, it's, it's TV company. Yeah, TV yeah, company. yeah, yeah. And what are they doing in, in general? Are they uh, they got a particular plan? No, we, cover, we will have an interview tomorrow. You have an interview with the player. Yeah. Ah, excellent, brilliant. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We're, we're loving the interest from Japan. It's great. The more, the merrier. So, yeah. thank you. Thank you. And it's great to chat to you. Thank Cheers. you. Yeah, so plenty of excitement in the build-up to the game. And as we now know, it was a victory, a 1-0 win for us against Bournemouth. And that man, Mitoma, who the Japanese TV crew were over to cover for the weekend and who were interviewing on the Sunday, um, must have been pleased because he was the centre of attention. He got the all-important winning goal with his second header, actually, as well. So we'll get on to all of that in a moment. But first of all, just to introduce my guest uh, who is on for the episode, it is, as mentioned at the end, Intro. Uh, Mr. Raymond Wright, the gent. Welcome back to the podcast, Raymond. How are you? I'm very well. Happy New Year. I think it's the first time I've been on the podcast this yes. year. And, um, and it really is. So uh, just clarify one thing. It isn't the second header that uh, Mr. has ever made for the album. It's his second headed goal. Oh yes, that's what I meant. Yes, indeed. Yes, that's true. We've had some, we've seen some headers we'd rather not have seen from him. Was it the Everton game? I can't remember where he ballooned a couple over. Um, can't remember now. But anyway, yes, his second headed goal. You're right, absolutely. Um, so we'll we'll talk about the match shortly. But first of all, just to catch up, as you said, you haven't been on for a while. Um, we've just passed the halfway stage of the season, and um, half-time report, really, slightly belatedly. Um, what have you made of it so far, uh, in general, for the team, both under Graham in the very early stages, but particularly under Roberto? And also, probably get your views in a minute on the transfer window and the Caicedo saga as well. But um, but what have you made of the Albion, first of all, um, in this first well, half well, of the season? The fact that we're in sixth place currently is obviously says a lot. We've got a, a game in hand in one or two people, which I think it's worth mentioning. Um, and two in hand on Spurs as well. I mean, it's, last season we scored 42 goals in the league in, in the 38 matches. Um, I don't want to put a hex on it, but uh, so far in 20 matches we've scored 38 goals. So yeah. you know, we, we've almost sort of got a, 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 our normal season's total, past season's total in already this season, which is very encouraging. And I think a lot of that is down to um, uh, Roberto. I mean, it's uh, changed. But we were playing more positively in that respect prior to Potter leaving, uh, most notably the game against Leicester, the 5-2 victory. But the actual sort of attacking play has been much more vibrant and I think much more incisive um, than it has been. With the goals coming across quite a wide range of players, uh, I, I think I'm correct in saying and these, some of these stats might be for all goals in all competitions, but I think we have Trossard, Mitterma, uh Gross, all on seven goals. Yeah. Um, and I think McAllister as well. And mm. then uh, uh, one or two other people I've got a few goals behind that. So it really does demonstrate that the goals are coming from all parts of the field. Young Ferguson has scored three goals. So it's uh, um, 
it's looking good. Even Danny Welbeck, who had a, a long run without scoring but was playing well otherwise, um, has got a couple of goals, one in the league, one out, not in the league. Um, so, you know, uh, Mr. Duncan got a goal the other day. So it's it looks encouraging. Um, they're playing with confidence, uh, very attractive football, uh, lots of movement. Um, and there's been no diminishing of the side with the change of coach. But I suppose it's unusual that a new manager gets appointed when a side is doing well. Hmm. You know, I mean, imagine a, a club at the top of the league with a, a 10-point lead over the nearest challenger. Hmm. Sort of suddenly changing manager. It wouldn't happen, would it? <laughs> no, that's right. A vast majority are, are for reasons of it having gone wrong at whichever club, yeah. Just on, on the matter of the, the top scorers, you're right. It is Grosh, Matoma, Mitoma, sorry, Trossard and McAllister all on seven. Uh, March and Ferguson on four. So Fergie's already up to four now, including uh, in the cup as well. Lalana on three. Welbeck has now notched two alongside fellow striker Undav. Um, albeit in the cup, um, or the cups, I should say, both cups. Um, and then you've got Lamptey, Caicedo, Alzate uh, in the League Cup, uh, Forest Green and Dunk are all on one. Um, so it's interesting that we had an issue with scoring in general. We had an issue with an out-and-out striker that was scoring. Even when Welbeck was playing well earlier in the season, um, he wasn't actually getting the goals, even though he was creating a lot. And we did feel that we needed to get more goals from midfield. And I mean, looking at the list, you've got Grosh who's a midfielder, Mittam as a wide attacker, so it's Trossard, McAllister's a midfielder, March is a wide attacker, which you could all of which you could deem as being midfielders in one sense. Um, I mean Salah's midfielder on fantasy football, isn't he, for example? And Rashford as well for some reason. Anyway, um and then you've got only you, you have to go down to Ferguson uh, and Welbeck and Undav as the only three strikers, although they've got eight goals between them. So that is an improvement probably on previous times. Um, so the goals are coming from, as you said, from all over the pitch. And it's, I think it's symptomatic of the, the style of football that we play both under Graham and particularly under Roberto, an expansive develop and stretch the game and try and create the space and have runners coming in in to fill the gaps type of football. The difference being, of course, that Solly's having more impact in the final third. Mittam has really, really stepped on and on. And although we've lost Trossard, that hasn't been a problem because we've had um, both Mittam are on form on the left and Ferguson coming in and doing well in the centre. Um, and it's it's been brilliant. Uh, it's, it's superb, isn't it, to see, as you said, this is going to be a... Uh, Barring a miracle, it's, it should be our um, our record scoring really this season in the Premier League era at least. And yeah. I, mean, oh. I, I think it's worth just adding to that that with um, RDZ that the the movement of the players around they sort of rotate. So taking the goal we scored against Bournemouth as an example, Mitterer hmm. um, was actually out on the left wing, and and Sarmiento was further in. And the ball comes to uh, just outside the corner of the penalty area on the left as we're attacking and passes the ball, moves in, and there are two or three or four passes more. But Sarmiento, in the meantime, has actually moved out to the left wing. So suddenly Sarmiento hmm. is actually in the place the middle was. Hmm. Sarmiento does a very good cross, and lo and behold, nobody's picked up on Mitterer who's actually been uh, you know, not far outside the goal area. I mean, he's been about sort of 13, 14 yards from the goal line. 
hmm. moves forward as he sees it's going to be crossed, comes in and heads and gets the goal. Yeah. And by that rotating movement, it's difficult for the players to continually mark the player. They've got to be marking the space. And yes. if they lose track of what's happening in the space, one hmm. or two of Ferguson's goals have been a little bit the same, that people have lost him, in inverted commas, when he's been in the penalty area. Hmm. Either through lack of movement <laughs> or moving away from the obvious place before coming back. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that was, and even, I mean, Undav, I mean, people may have read of the fact that Undav missed about three chances in about two and a half seconds in the match. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, he, he created the whole chance himself initially. Um, he was standing quite still where the goalkeeper was clearing the ball. And obviously just to pick up Undo and hit it straight at Undo, who mm. intercepts it, goes forward, um, has a shot, shot blocked, has another shot, good save, has a third shot. But actually it was caused by the movement or the non-movement in that instance uh, to do it. Um, uh, unlike most of our things when we raise chances, two of them were on target, the other third was almost on target, it hit the post. <laughs> yes. so, yeah. At least he was, he was working the goalkeeper, as it were. So yeah. often when we get a chance, those sort of chances, the sort of easiest chances to expect to score from, we blaze it over the ball or past the post or this, that and the other. So, so it, even the, in a scenario that was disappointing, there were a lot of positives. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's still a work in progress. Roberto De Zerbi said that uh, we're, we're about 60% of our potential, in his opinion. And when we had that, um, the, the invited event to, to meet him and David Weir and uh, Paul Barber um, as one of the supporter groups um, a few months ago, he, he was saying, I, I asked him the question, in which regards do you think we can improve? What have you seen from players that you think we can improve in? And he said, well, there's all sorts of things we can still do. Uh, all of the players can improve and he strives for perfection and that he would never expect to achieve perfection because he thinks it's impossible, but he's always striving to do that. He said he'd give up football if he achieved it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone will achieve perfection because there's too many variables every single week, isn't there? But I do think that um, he's improved players. I think he's made us more expansive and he's made us more, uh, swashbuckling, I think, uh, underused expression in football. Haven't heard that for a while. Uh, yeah, more of a swashbuckling team. We're, we're brave on the ball. We've got balls, as he likes to, to call it. And he's improved in certain individuals, such as Soddy March, to the great advantage of the club overall. And I'm delighted with the way it's gone. I mean, I'm sure you are as well. Um, but the notion that we're only on 60% or, or well, that was, that was two, three weeks ago. He said it. I assume he means we're still around the same now. Um, that's that's pretty exciting, isn't it? To think that in his mind, um, even if it's a psychological trick or something like that rather than an assessment, um, but it suggests that in his mind we've got more potential. Do you see that? And do you see that in no, the I, next no, I'd be interested in asking him what percentage level he thinks we could get up to if we're at 60% and we can't hit 100%. Yes. <laughs> are we capable, how far up can we get? Are we capable of getting up to 87, 88% for the sake of argument, or not even 90%. Um, yeah, that's that, what I had in my head as well, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I, I'm not sure. sure. It's, everybody talk, talks about formations, and at that same meeting, I asked about the formations because I feel to 
a large degree where people are, although they're not sort of expressing it like that, almost going back to the original um, goalkeeper, two fullbacks, three halfbacks, uh, inside forward, centre forward wingers, sort of type, sort of W type formation up front. Um, and but looking at it more closely with uh, Roberto, I actually, although normally it's a back four, I think the reality is it's a back two. So it's almost like two centre-half fullbacks, say, say Duncan Colwell or Webster or whoever. And then, in fact, you've got a four, which is the, the right back, a Lamptey or a, a Gross, who Gross has been playing there quite a lot recently, um, with the two sort of pivotal, as it almost wing halves in, in McAllister and, and Casino. And then you've got Esther Pinnon as the other sort of uh, sort of wide player out there. Um, and then you've got your inside forward and sort of almost a you know, withdrawn centre forward but or advanced centre half, if I could put it that way, um, in the number 10 role. And, and, and for the two inside forwards either side of him, which at the moment are March and, and Mittermer, with Alana when he's fit, in the number, I mean, when he's fit, um, which seems to be on an occasional basis. Um, the, and then you've got your traditional centre forward, he seems to favour now, um, whether it be Ferguson or Undab or perhaps Welbeck. Interesting that Welbeck's been playing in the number 10 role there recently. Yes, it, yes, it is. It's, uh, it, it is interesting. I think we, we are playing it in that sense, aren't we? So there's the overlaps and there's the overrunning. And as you said earlier about the, the interchangeability of people arriving in different bits of the pitch also is really hard to mark. I've always been a fan of that in a fluid attacking system when you've got the players and the enthusiasm and the, the tempo and the belief to do it. It works really well. And, um, with the Bournemouth were a very difficult team to break down. I think we've we've cracked a couple of nuts, as I said there, which we've not been able to before. Teams sitting deep against us, we've, we've tended to have problems with that. And looking through the season so far, obviously you look at games such as Newcastle, where I don't think they were at their best at the time, Newcastle, and certainly not the Nottingham Forest game, where they looked a very poor side, but just well organised. And for us to not be able to break down a team that is really at the time no better than well organised isn't really good enough. Um but we've seemed to have found a way to, and that obviously was a Roberto De Zerbi game as well, one of his early games. And we seem to have found a way to win in games recently. I know we didn't beat Leicester, but we had a penalty cruelly denied us and we probably would have won that game anyway. The the Bournemouth game, we found a way to win. And in the cup against Liverpool, when it wasn't looking like we were going to get the result, we found a way to win. And and that was Mittermurra as well, of course. Um, so it's encouraging, I think, that we are breaking one of our biggest issues down a bit there we've been playing some flamboyant football some good football getting some goals and we, we we've had some good games against big sides both with Roberto and prior to that with Graham um but cracking these difficult nuts has been the difficult thing incidentally we've um now we've had we've had a 4-0 against Man United we've had a 3-0 against Spurs we've had a 4-1 against Chelsea a 3-0 against Liverpool um we've beaten four of the big six by three goals or more at some point in the last um, well, year or so, um, and that's quite encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Not too bad. We could do it doing that against Arsenal, but I think that might be difficult this season. Um, but anyway, yeah. Well, so I mean, well, I that I mean, we we did score two goals against them. 
And, yes. And we, and we were very unlucky. I mean, it was a very, very close decision. Mm. Uh, uh, Mitterrand was very unlucky not to be have scored uh, another goal. And yeah. in fact, some refs, like German Gallagher, for example, felt that the goal should have been allowed. So, I mean, mm. yes, we might not have beaten them, but really the result, uh, perhaps I'm, I'm biased, um, should have been 4-3. And to score three goals against Arsenal yeah. in the sort of form they're in is actually... Without our, without our best two midfielders as well. Yeah, yeah with, with a weakened team. And uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, um, you know, we did actually put the ball in during play three times the net. The fact that one was ruled out it mm. didn't... I mean, it doesn't stop the fact we actually scored, uh, got the ball where it should be. Um, the fact that whether it's rightly or wrongly ruled out is, is a moot point. But, yeah. you know, we scored in a very good goal. So um, it means that if, if our defence had been tighter, it would have been better. But on the other hand, we had something like 68% possession, if I'm not right, and also only had about 32. So they, they were scoring on sort of on breakaway um, mm. attacks, and it was just odd little small errors. Yeah, I mean, that, that was interesting because we didn't have our, our key midfielders there and Arsenal play a possession-based football and did win the game. You would imagine we, we, they would have had more possession in that match. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think one of the Liverpool games, we thought we felt like they had more possession and turned out we did. Um, yeah, it's interesting. What I was going to say, um, let's steer it towards Bournemouth. Um, uh, one of one of the well, two things to mention. First of all, we were missing both of those midfielders again. I think this is only the second time this season, so that's where we've also cracked another nut because we've. Um, I know we we got the goal after Casado came on, but we didn't have um, both of them on until very late and in the game there. Um, so uh, sorry, well, um, no, we didn't have McAllister at all. Sorry, because he wasn't in in there. So we had none of them at the start, and we only had Casado on for about half an hour, and we still got. Hello. And no Lalana, no Ferguson. Well, um, yes, exactly. And and we're missing other people that we might have wanted to use, like Webster as well, uh, from the starting lineup. But yeah, with that weakened starting lineup and that issue with breaking down low blocks, we still managed to get the result. And um, we had the, mid, the central midfield, well, the, the full lineup was Sanchez in goal. We had Veltman back in, Dunk and Estupinian for the, the main defenders, with Lamptey as, as the wing back on the right and, and Mitterma playing uh, on the uh, left side. Um, and then we had Grosh and Gilmore as the centre midfield partnership with March and Undav further forward and then Welbeck. Um, difficult to say exactly what formation I think it was. And Undav. Undav. Undav, yeah. Um, so Gilmore, so you, you have Scottish heritage, Raymond. Um, Billy Gilmore, I mean, Jurgen Klopp at the beginning of last season when he was on loan at Norwich described Gilmore as possibly the best and most exciting Scottish talent for 50 years, which is basically alluding back to the Dalgleish type of era, um, which is some accolade. Um, this is based on what he'd seen of him, obviously, playing for Chelsea. Didn't have a great season, actually, on loan at Norwich, because I think it was a bit of a dysfunctional setup there, really, and he was a bit of a scapegoat for the fans. But he's not really had many chances because of those really good central midfielders that we've got, the double pivot of McAllister and Caicedo. Um, it's only his second start of the season, in the league, and he, he's um, he, he did okay, didn't he? I think he did well when he came on against Liverpool in the cup match. I think him and the formation helped us get a better grip on midfield in that match. And then he's he's rewarded with the start uh, in this game, knowing that we were going to miss our our main two guys. Um, how did you feel he did, and how how do you think he's settling in now uh, halfway through this season? 
Well, I, I think you're right to point out the difficulty he has with McAllister and Casino um, ahead of him um, in the double pivot, partly mm. because they work so well together, um, partly because they are quite powerful in the tackle and uh, are good at winning the ball. And he's a different type of player. But you know, we are talking about two players of, who are probably world class. And he's slightly unlucky. He joined a club with, you know, um, two of you know, the best, I don't know, yeah. certainly uh, probably top top ten or, or so central midfielders in the Premier League. But, uh, I mean, how many other teams have got a double pivot of two absolutely world-class players? I mean, McAllister showed what he was about um, for Argentina and didn't Messi become much more alive once McAllister was playing and getting the ball to him on a regular basis. Exactly. And also, also making, playing slightly further forward than he does for us, but making the runs into the box and you know, taking defenders with him and, and providing Messi with, with, with the space. Um, and, and Alvarez um, as well. In fact, they've got other people like Felix and others around. I mean, the, the tr- that change of team in Argentina after their loss to Saudi Arabia yeah. you know, I mean, changed the whole tournament. Um, but I think it's worth saying. I think he's. I think Gilmore was very industrious. I thought both he and and, and Gross, uh, uh, on against Bournemouth. They worked really hard. They were coming back, collecting the ball, going forward, uh, keeping the ball moving all the time, making sure that they were available. And I think Gilmore was part of that. And, and I mean, it led to us having seventy-one percent possession in that game. It becomes quite difficult for a side to play well. And even though they made two or three chances, um, you know, it's, if you've only got 29% of possession, you've got obviously obviously a lot less chances to score. And if you have, um, you have less potential to make chances as well. So I think that's different. So I think some credit to go. And I think as long as he's patient, I think he will get the game time. He's only 21. People forget that he's only 21. He came on and, and had that big impact in that international for Scotland against England at Wembley. Yeah. I think it was 17. Was he was man of, man of the match that day. Yeah. It was a little old draw, I know, but nonetheless, he was the, the player that, that caught the eye for Scotland that day. Mm. And he, he made his debut, I think it was a Champions League game, albeit a, uh, a late start, bit of 4-0 win, um, and also then... I think that was his game, actually. I think he, he, he oh. came on, I think, a week earlier, but off the bench. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Then, and then, then he had a start in... And then started the next one, which was a 4-0 win. Admittedly, it was a, a dead rubber. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in the sense that Chelsea had already qualified. But nonetheless, you you know, you go on and, and, you, and you win 4-0. <laughs> you know, still good experience, isn't it? Still yeah, good absolutely. experience. Yeah. But he is only 21 and it will come. And, and uh, Roberto thinks there's more to come from him. He obviously thinks he's a good player and just thinks he will improve. But it, I think it can quite often take a long time, quite a long time for a player to come into a club and, and if there's a settled team to actually get up to speed with it, to know where people want the ball passing and all that sort of thing. And I, I was encouraged, although he, he got forward and had a couple of shots. I mean, one was only just very narrowly wide just before he was substituted. And for a brief second, very brief, so even caught a second. I thought he might have scored as the, the side netting sort of <laughs> ripple, but it was the wrong yeah. side for post, sadly. But, uh, and it would have done his confidence a lot of good had he scored. 
obviously, and we would have had a goal that much earlier. But I think it's, uh, you know, I think if, if we're going to qualify for Europe, if we were to qualify for Europe, we've got to have people you know, backing up the, the starting eleven, like Gilmore. We've got to have people of that quality. Uh, mm. We've got to have forward because you, you can't have be playing in Europe and have the domestic competition without uh, a quality squad with some depth. Yeah. So I, I think it's good player. Very interesting article in The Athletic. Um, yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, Andy Naylor presumably wrote it um, to do with his comparison with Casado, wasn't it? Saying that Casado yeah. is very... He's very uh, dictating of the play, uh, which which is what Gilmore likes to do. But I think the comparison was that at the moment Gilmore doesn't have the 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 um, uh, impositional kind of physique and doesn't have the the power or the tackling ability that Casado does. I think they compared to that. Casado came on in the fifty seventh minute for Gilmore in this game, managed to get his his customary yellow card, incidentally uh, somehow again. Uh, I think this time for talking back to the ref. But anyway, he. He only had um, 57th minute until the end of stoppage time. Uh, he, he got in four tackles, I think, um, versus Gilmore's one, um, something like that. And um, so Caicedo is is much more of that um, marshalling the area just in front of the defence, isn't he? I think he's he's stronger in that regard, and he can still get forward and do all the other stuff Gilmore can do. But I think Gilmore, as you said, he hasn't had as much game time. Uh, I think Casado must already have a number of games on him already in general in their careers uh, because Gilmore's been playing for Chelsea and not getting much time. I don't think he was getting games every week for Norwich in the end. And obviously he hasn't been for the Albion either. Whereas Casado, um, you know, he's he's already made his name last season. He's already had roughly 30 appearances, hasn't he? I think nearly 30 games for us. Um, it will take time and it would take a succession of games in consecutive order for Gilmore to get up to the sort of level that anyone else that's performing in that team would do. So it's understandable, really, isn't it? I think it's a slightly um, unfair comparison, Gilmore, to um, to Casino, because we, we are talking about um, you know, one of you know, the top players in um, in his position in, in Europe. Yes. Um, sort yes. of PL. I mean, the fact that we turned down an offer of 70 million, which nobody seems to have denied or argued about, um, for Casido, I mean, just shows you know, what his value is. And he has this instinct of knowing, I mean, from a defensive viewpoint, but, but generally of knowing where the ball's going to go and being where the ball is going to be, which is why he's able to make the tackles, why he's able to make the interceptions. And I think his reading of, of the where the ball will go, sort of two or three passes ahead of where it get, when it gets there, hmm. is outstanding. And his his possibility that when he gets the ball, he moves it forward. And to be fair, I think Gilmore does the same. Gilmore, hmm. I think, has some, like because you know, he's not somebody who is doing a defence splitting pass. He's moving it forward positively rather than backwards. I mean, not a la Dale Stevens backwards, sideways, backwards, backwards, sideways, backwards. Oh, that's slightly forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, it was a different era and a different style of play that that, that Dale was playing in under under Horton. But it's a uh, Houston. But uh, I mean, but, but nonetheless, I think they both like to move the ball forward, keep the attack and, and the progression down the pitch. And I think it's the, the big difference is in in the defensive work, and also I think Casillas got that much 
much fitter because he's been playing regular matches. I mean, I think he's a very good athlete, but, but and I think, but and I think Gilmore hasn't yet got up to the sharpness to be able to do the tackles or, or read or, or read it as much. I mean, if you're only playing, getting a few minutes here and there, you're, it's it's difficult to. Yeah, I think really settle into a team and, and you know. Well, I mean, somebody like like Roche on on Saturday for all his hard work. And, and he did some good passes, but he wasn't making some of the um, really sort of defence-beating passes that he can do. Hmm. Yeah, and I think there's yeah we weren't at our best. I don't I don't think we we still weren't at our best. I I thought that um well um the the other yellow cards were Duncan Veltman by the way. I think Veltman's someone that's probably struggled a little bit under Deserbi. He hasn't really quite shone, and he's been in and out of the team a bit, which doesn't help. Um, what I, I did find was it was interesting. He kept him on for the match, even though he had that booking. Um, Deserbi did make five changes, which he's off to want to do. Um, we mentioned Caicedo coming on for Gilmore on 57 minutes. That was paired up with Sarmiento coming on for Welbeck. So we changed the formation a little bit. So Welbeck was... I was coming off. Sarmiento was playing either in that replacement number 10 position or, as you said, drifting out and creating spaces and doing different things. Uh, there was another pair of subs on 75 minutes, which is Enciso coming on for Undav and Buenanote making his debut only two or three weeks after he had a serious looking injury after falling badly from high up in the air and in- injuring his neck, it seemed. Um, he came on for Lamptey and played as um, as that advanced right-sided um, player for the Albion and then the latest sub was Webster coming on just to shore things up just after the goal, I think it was, for March on 89 minutes. Um, so firstly, thumbs up to Buenonote making his debut. And he was involved in the build-up play, wasn't he, to the goal? Not not immediately um, directly before it, but he, he, he spread the ball across uh, from right to left. Yeah. The ball ended up out on the left-hand side. And as you said, Sarmiento found himself over there after receiving a pass, I think, from Mitama and got back into... Uh, I've got the ball back into the box for Missima to head it. Um, not really much to see of Buenonote, but I'm delighted to see him come in so soon. Also, by the way, I'm delighted to see your pronunciation of um, Mitoma. So many people get it wrong, and fair enough. And I think uh, Mitoma is an accepted term that he's probably happy enough with. But uh, I'm impressed, Raymond. Very good work. Um, <laughs> um, what I was going to say was I, I was relatively impressed with elements of Bournemouth as well. They're, they're organised. They had a low block. But they, they've been quite potent on the attack, weren't they? They were quite dangerous. There was one guy in particular, I'm trying to think of his name, um, sort of left wing back almost, who was very quick down the left. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, can't remember. He, he, he stretched us both a lot. Something like, it's a name like Sanchez, but it wasn't Sanchez, but it was that sort of thing. Um, was it Zamora? Was he playing left wing yeah, back? Zamora. That's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. I know. It's not, nothing like Sanchez, but you know what I mean. You've got that. <laughs> Spanish sounding, yeah. <laughs> but I thought, I mean, he was, I mean, watching him from the side, when, when he was playing the far side away from where I was sitting, it's just sheer pace. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Mr. Usain Bolt would have had difficulty in the first <laughs> 30 metres. I don't think Bolt would have, from a standing start, I don't think Bolt would have been, would have got past him in 30 metres. Mm. He might have been longer because Bolt's lot longer legs would come into play. But mm. I thought this guy has really serious pace and he was 
um, he, he was exposing us. And, and fortunately, um, you know, we were in control of the game by the time we took Lamptey off. One of the reasons I think you know, Lamptey was important was we needed somebody at pace on the, on, on the right flank there to, to help combat that. But notwithstanding that, he, you know, the, most of their best moves came down that flank. Yeah. And, and he was the person causing the problem. Yeah, I think I think if we look at relegation, we probably you would probably have to include predicting. I would say probably possibly Bournemouth, maybe Leeds, who sacked, um, uh, of course, um, Jesse Marsh. Uh, by the way, since our last podcast, he's been sacked after their uh, miserable defeat at Nottingham Forest, who uh, looks a quite a poor side again. I think Forest might end up with enough to survive. If they do, I think Leeds. Uh, and I think Bournemouth and Southampton might be in some trouble here. We'll see how that pans out. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But I think Bournemouth at least have the look of a team that might have something on the counter, which I didn't feel the same about with Nottingham Forest, which was a similar game earlier in the season. Um, so, I mean, that's something to say for them. What I was also impressed with was how they managed to only get one yellow card to our three, which was for Smith. Um they certainly should have had at least one more. And um, the referee, who apparently was Michael Oliver, but clearly wasn't, it was Craig Pawson. And there was a, ch- I don't know why there was a change, but there was a change of referee for the, for the match. Pawson was dreadful in this game. Lots of, um, niggly type fouls were given the wrong way. Uh, I think, um, the benefit of the doubt wasn't given at the right time. I think the flow wasn't given at the right time and was held up at the wrong time. And what I most got up with was at one point when Bournemouth were, still holding on for the nil-nil, and the ball had gone out of play on the far side, as I look at it, the near side, as you look at it, in the east. And um, it was... Oh, play- the ball was dead, and it was blatantly kicked away. away. Yeah, as a completely away. separate oh, action. Free kick. It's and a, you should be put there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a completely separate action. There's no ambiguity about did it bounce off him or did he kick it away. He definitely kicked it away. And we always get penalised for that or less. How come their guy... It was, more or less, it was more or less right in front of me. And... He got hold of the ball, he stopped yeah. the ball getting it, and then he didn't put it down, he kicked it away. I mean, it was yeah. I mean, so premeditated and obvious. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good job Peter's not on this podcast, or we'd have 10 minutes of ranting on this one, because uh, it, uh, it's infuriating and it's so inconsistent uh, in terms of the rules being applied. And it's so nonsensical. It's such a clear-cut one. No one would ever have any issue with that. Bournemouth knew what they were doing. They would have happily taken the yellow, just in the same way that uh, Fabinho would have happily taken a red against uh, against us in the cup. You know, there's certain defences that the player knows what they've done, and they're expecting their medicine. And we don't seem to be able to administer it. Um, oh, sorry, I say we, the, the referees in our games, I mean. Um, but, but, why doesn't, but why doesn't the linesman in that instance... Um, you know, sort of wave his flag or something to say, I think you should be doing something here, ref. I'm not, I'm not talking about the bar official, I'm talking about the guy on the thing. You just do it and, and you can say what it is and you just say, you know, indicate yellow card, you yeah. know, taking the ball away because if the ref's got his back to it, he doesn't necessarily see it happening. Uh, but the, 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 the linesman on that side had to have seen it happening. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. I think he's been, it's the linesman's been derelict and they want to bring it to the attention of the ref. Um, yeah. But if I can go back on something, is I think that um, Roberto has actually somehow instilled greater fitness in the squad. Mm. And and one of the ways he's doing that is, he's not doing it every game, but he's, he's using sort of four or five subs. So he's trying to, uh, and people like Welbeck, he knows can't play a full 90 minutes. He's making sure he comes off. Lallana the same. He's trying to keep some freshness there. And at the same time, he's 
keeping some of the fringe players like Lamptey, and they're coming on and they're getting getting regular minutes. It might only be sort of 15, 16 or something. And it's helped to maintain the squad's sharpness as well. Hmm. But if you are going to have all this rotation on the pitch, you're going to have, an, and you're effectively playing a back two, which makes you vulnerable, which means you've got to have players who can get back if there is a quick break. And I think you know, a, a better quality team than Bournemouth attack-wise. And I think we could have been exposed several times on Saturday. Fortunately, they hadn't got the people to actually really make it count. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, final word from me on, well, a couple of words from me on the Bournemouth game. It was it was amazing how suddenly all the, they had something like seven players went down pretending to have cramp. Sorry, with with cramp. Did I say pretending? No, my 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 mistake. Um, magically, they all seemed to be fine and and a lot fitter as soon as we they went a goal down. I just wanted to drop that into conversation, um, just as a dig really at Bournemouth. I'm glad that at least for once a time wasting side has got what they they deserve by doing that in the end, which is losing to the team trying to play football. Um, it's a shame that wasn't the case with Villa, but. Anyway, but there's that. But what, what I wanted to ask you, just very finally to wrap off part one, um, man of the match, it was given to Mittema by in, in stadium. BBC gives it as Mittema as well. Um, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, he got the, the match winner, of course, it puts him up there. But would you have given it to him? Because I wasn't convinced on that. I mean, I mean personally, I wouldn't. I, there were other people, I thought, who played well. I think, um, I mean, Dunk marshaled the defence well. Uh, Esther Pin, uh, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Esther Pinion, yeah. Hmm. Esther Pinion, but actually, I think they say to me, Esther almost, uh, they seem to lose part of it uh, towards the end. Um, I mean, he he played well, and he has been playing well, hasn't he? I mean, um, you know, he's got five assists so far in all competitions this season. Yeah, I mean, he's done very um, well. Just needs a goal now, doesn't he? But yeah, you know, he's, he's, I mean, it's a uh, I mean, if one looks back on Cucurella, Cucurella only got two in the whole season, and he's got five mm. halfway through the season. Yeah. Um, admittedly, you know, at least I think two of those have been in the cup, but you know, he's got them, and he really gets a dangerous ball. I, thought, I, thought I think Gilmore did, Gilmore did quite well, and I, yeah. strangely, I, Dunk, I, think, I think for me, maybe Dunk, I, even though we weren't really Grosch, on the back I think Grosch was the other Sorry? The, I thought Grosch was the other player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he got reasonably well rated on some of the sites I've seen, but he was nowhere near the top of it, which is interesting because I thought he he played well. I thought Dunk played well, and as I said, it wasn't the sort of game where we're on the back foot, but and yet he seemed to stand out. Um, it was a hard one to choose, actually. I'm going to have to give further reflection on that one, I think. <laughs> um, but anyway, that that's going to wrap up. Part well, one. well, actually, in terms of impact, yeah. the two players who had impact when they came off the bench were. We could see though, obviously. I mean, he had impact, and uh, that clearly helped. Uh, Sarmiento, because we were looking, and, and Sarmiento, mm. and Sarmiento. You know, it was his assist. You know, without the assist, we wouldn't have scored the goal. So, you know, um, I, I think he had a lot of impact. Sarmiento, when he came on, he's got very quick feet, um, yep. and we haven't really you know, had a chance to see a lot of him. Uh, he suffered with that injury last season, which was a pity. And I think that's held back some of his development. Yeah, um, yeah he's, I think he's a star in the making. It's gonna, it's gentle introduction, really, I suppose, because of the injury. He hit the ground running almost 
amazingly well, didn't he? But for a very short period, a couple of sub-appearances in the beginning of the West Ham game before he picked the injury up. And then it's been a long road to recovery, but he's it's more of a, a gradual reintegration, isn't it? I think he's getting plenty of time off the bench and obviously a couple of starts in cups and things. Um, it's going to take time, but I, I think he's a great talent. And um, along with the others, I think uh, what the Ecuadorians, particularly amongst them, are all are all great. Um, really exciting times ahead, even if we do have um, a, an issue with hanging on to two or three of our stars in the summer. Um, well, Raymond, in part two, we'll break for part one now. In part two, we'll talk about um, the transfer window a little bit and uh, your thoughts on that, your thoughts on Casado and his stance and what he what he did. And also any other news and other bits you wanted to mention. And I think we should mention Manchester City because there's oh, been a, quite a big uh, bit of news uh, about them. Uh, Manchester City. Well, uh, Manchester closing down the football club, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> on which note? <laughs> yes, on that, on that note, we'll have a break. And so welcome back to part two with me, Russell Guyver, your host, and my guest, the gent, Raymond Wright. Welcome back, Raymond. Um, now, you're um, you're drinking uh, some beer as well tonight. I, I, I presume you've got your trusty Harvey's Albion Ale there. Is that what you said you were having? Yeah, it's, it's one of about three or four I have, but it, it is. Uh, appropriately, I think, the Albion Ale um, today from the great Sussex brewer, Harvey's. Yes, marvellous. Well, I, I know it well, but at the moment I'm trying something you bought me for Christmas, which is uh, Red Cat Brewing, uh, in particular their Scratch um, beer, which is uh, really nice, very nice beer. I'm enjoying this. It's a, kind of like a, a golden ale, and it's pretty tasty, actually. So thank you very much. I'm enjoying that. Um, I'll get <laughs> okay, you next time we're done. Yeah, Winchester. Absolutely. And um May I just raise a glass to Brian Horton as well, Nobby Horton, who had his birthday two or three days ago, I I understand. I sent him a birthday message. He said, thanks very much. Delighted that the Seagulls are doing so well, he said. So um, it's great to to hear he's still watching the games. I know he he said when he came on the pod that he uh, enjoyed watching us. Uh, I think he's watching the games every week. So um, great. Fantastic for for that as well. in terms of other news, though, there's been a lot of um, Mitama art going on as well. We've got Mitama Magic, which I've got on my phone. I'm just showing you, Raymond. A oh, bit really? of, yeah, very sort of, uh, yeah, it's kind of quite stylish artwork. There's also some tapestry that I've seen online. Um, again, I don't know if you can see this, and people can Google it online. There's really? an image of him jumping up uh, in the air, celebrating a goal with uh, Sarmiento, I think it is. Um, and finally, there's the artwork from the... Did the ball cross the line? World Cup goal is like a Japanese anime thing. I'm not sure I can get you to see that. On, no. yeah, which is yes, I mean, good. actually, it, he's having uh, is having huge impact as far as we're concerned in in attracting Japanese uh, supporters. And uh, yeah, we're well, we had right. we we, 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 had, we had three sitting immediately in front of us, and one literally right next next door to Jane, my wife. Um, so there are four. Uh, around us, but I think generally there are a lot, and he's obviously generating a lot of interest in in Brighton. Mm. And one would like to think that if we aren't going to go and tour, you know, somewhere else, that you know, perhaps at some stage we should go have a summer tour in Japan because and actually try and max on that um, uh, that interest, particularly while we 
um, we've got him. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but also, I think it, it, perhaps we should be, and we have been linked as our, I think, Liverpool um, with another uh, Japanese winger. Um, oh, right. Okay. Apparently, yeah. we're, we're, I mean, Liverpool are interested, and the story came from Liverpool, but apparently we are another club interested. Um, but you know, we ought to be you know, exploiting that market, having um, got the interest. And if there's one Japanese player with us, then others might want to go where where a fellow countryman is. Well, um, I wouldn't be averse to a, a, a tour of Japan. It's rather convenient because I'm very overdue a visit to see my uh, my sister-in-law and her family. <laughs> so that might not be bad. However, if it's in the summer, which is most likely, um, it is un bearably humid and hot <laughs> well it depends actually it's not so bad earlier in the summer um it's bearable but uh there we go but um yeah i mean the, the, but, but the presumably the level of interest is incredible I mean, bits of japan will have slightly different weather because it's really that's true yeah yeah we could we could tailor it according to a more climate um climate but um yeah i mean the level of interest um seems to have gone off the scale i remember paul barber saying that uh when the rugby uh, World Cup saw that great upset at the Amex involving the Japan team. Um, how much immediate interest there was, and people emailing him from all over wanted to come and visit just the venue where it all happened. So now you've got a, a, a genuine, what's looking like world class or on the way to being world class player playing for us, and the number of Japanese fans who were clearly Japanese. I've I've got a bit of a Kind of like a, I can sort of tell <laughs> sometimes um, which part of the Orient in particular. But these, there were, there were absolutely loads and loads of them at the game on Saturday to the point where I didn't realise when we were talking to that Japanese TV guy before the game. Um, but what, as we were chatting to him, there was four of them over here as, as staff. But there was about seven, eight or nine people wandered by just while we were talking to him for a couple of minutes. And after the game, there was more, as you said, and, and, and loads of other people I've spoken to have said they had Japanese people sitting around them watching. Um, it's taken off like you wouldn't believe, hasn't it? And yeah, it's it's a market we haven't tapped into before. And I don't want to talk too much about markets and the corporate side of football, but it's a bonus, isn't it, if things, things go that well? And but, but so, if, oh, he's the star of the show <laughs> on Saturday. But, he, but even if we can't talk in the short term, hmm. perhaps it'd be a good idea to invite one of the top Japanese teams over friendly. to play uh, a pre-season friendly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would be another way, and which would you know, be part of a reciprocal arrangement that we go back the following season. Yeah, so, yeah. Something like that. So it's... Uh, no, it is exciting, and he is exciting. He's obviously really quick. What is interesting is I don't think he became a full-time professional until he was about 21, 21 and a half. And I think the implication of that is, I haven't double-checked, and I've been meaning to, that is that he went to university from school. Yeah. And then, having got his degree, then was able to go full-time football. Yeah. So he's only, he's only just 25, so he's only really been playing for about three and a half years. Yeah, which is that's, incredible that's as well. Professional. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, famously, I think we've probably already mentioned it on the podcast. If we haven't, I'll quickly reiterate it now. He studied the art of dribbling for his thesis. And he also, I think he commissioned um, or he got engaged with um, psychologists and 
people in sort of like the medical departments um, to do with athleticism and how best to to tone your body for the game of football. He, he did a lot of research on various subjects around football to see how best to to, to perform as a footballer. Um, which is interesting. Maybe this is a making up for lost time element. You go to university, you lose some of your football uh, playing days by doing that, but you learn more about the game while you're at uni. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a no-lose situation then. Um, he's an interesting character, clearly intelligent. You know, he's, he's graduated, he's he's done an interesting thesis there, and he's hit the ground running uh, in a way that a lot of players coming to the Premier League from completely elsewhere can't do. And he's really risen so quickly, hasn't he? But in some in some ways, having a, a, a sort of a not going from, say, school, sort of junior sport, straight into the top level, and having a, a, a sort of maturing as a person, maturing physically, not putting your body under quite so much strain for, for two or three years, and then coming in, might be a better way of preparing. You might have greater longevity doing that than actually going straight in. I mean, Gary Lineker, from what I remember, did a degree um, when he was quite young. When he was, I think, at Leicester, I think he was being a professional and doing a degree at the university there. Um, so... You know, it, I mean, you can twin it, but you can't twin it when you're playing international football, Champions League, and all this sort of thing at the same time, because you, know, you, you might be sitting at exam when you're meant to be playing a football match in Paris or something. But it's, yeah. but in the early part of your career, it might be possible hmm. if if you're a very disciplined person, um, and therefore c- coming at it in a, in, a, in a from a different stance, with, with having where you're you've thought about the game and then you've kept your physicality, you've still trained, you've still kept yourself very fit, might be good. Yeah, indeed. On on, on that basis, if I can just digress totally, Russell, from Mm. from that to uh, how I think certain players and certain managers shoot certain clubs. Ah, yes, yeah. And, and, And what I'm going to say is that you take... Uh, Eddie Howe, I mean, he, he was successful at, initially at Bournemouth, goes to Burnley. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to go to Burnley, but, you know, um, but, <laughs> yeah, I, but, you know, sort of cold northwest, wet northwest, but did not work out for him at all there. Mm. Goes back to Partly Bournemouth. due to family issues, I think, as well, yeah. to be fair. But I don't think it was going especially well on no. the field either. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then goes back to Bournemouth reasonably successful. Um, obviously, difficult trying to complete uh, uh, in the side. They had two or three good seasons, then one poor one. Um, he then went out of football for a number of months. Mm. And I think it gave him a chance to rethink, reboot and everything else. And he seems to be doing a fantastic job at Newcastle. And uh, he seems to shoot. And you, know, you think of players, Cucurella goes to Brighton. And I think there have been some family issues there as well, but he has been less effective at Chelsea, where where he could be successful, where there was very much a team environment, rather than going to a club where there are a whole lot of so-called superstars. So I think it's harder to, you know, if you're a, a really good player but not haven't got that an extra bit, a la a Kane or somebody like that, yeah. going to a big club with big egos, it's not as easy. Yeah, looking and, at. Um... Um, 
was going to say, looking at some managers, and you said how, how certain managers suit certain clubs and not others, and probably it's true of players as well. But having having looked through the EFL and keeping a close eye on that through all the all the recent years, there's so many managers that fit into that category. Probably the most obvious would be Nathan Jones, who did really well at Luton, went to Stoke, and it was a disaster, quite frankly. Went back to Luton, and it was, despite some animosity from some of the fans who didn't like him having abandoned them in the first place, he he was accepted back in. And he did exceptionally well on a very low budget and proportional to the rest of the teams in the championship, uh, pushing really hard. And and then he's moved to Southampton. And OK, that's a big ask. You know, no experience in the Premier League, a team on a downer, already struggling, not the easiest of tasks. And it may still work out for him. Who knows? But there's a lot of fans that didn't want him. And there's certainly plenty more that don't want him now. Um, but there's loads of examples of that, isn't there? And as you said, Eddie Howe has just uh, has gone from strength to strength. And I think, yeah, they've signed two, three or four high-profile players there, but they haven't gone totally mad. Um, they've spent a lot less than Nottingham Forest have, really. Um, and yet they've, they've, I think, excelled themselves, really. And much as begrudges me to say, because I don't want to see a Saudi-funded Newcastle doing well, and they are doing well. And in fact, they are our, our target team for the Champions League, aren't they, Raymond? They're, they're, they're first in line for, for us to try and catch, aren't they, now, in terms of they're, they're basically they're fourth in the table. They're the team to catch now. United have overtaken them. Um, I doubt we'll catch them. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's they've done very well. Interesting subject. Well, I, think, I mean, Hull, I think, has had the chance to look at the game, decide how it should be played, looked at the, the squad. I mean, he probably had a view on all those squads. When that job came up, he, he looked at it and said, yes, I can. I think there are people who can defend. I can get a good type defence. If I can get a good defensive midfielder, which he did, he got a very good one. Yeah. Interesting to see how they do while he's out injured. Um, yeah. They but, just plug the, plug the gaps, don't they? They pick the right players that they needed urgently. What what he has done, he he's made much better players out of Almiron Longstaff, who I, I wasn't sure was up to the job, to be honest with you, um, and um, one or two others. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, obviously, um, Callum Wilson, it was a matter of injuries. Always so the, the guy they spent a lot of money on, um, who he's moved away from being a striker. Um, oh, well, yes, uh, Joel, Joel Ellington as well. Yeah, yeah And also, also on top of that, um, he's um, he's managed to keep the quality of Byrne going. I wasn't sure Byrne would manage to perform as well anywhere else as he was doing under Potter. I thought it was one of those things where Potter was just the perfect fusion with him and the club and it was going to work out so much better than he would have he would have liked it to to have been the same at Newcastle. I wasn't sure it would be, but to be fair, he seems to be doing fine, doesn't he, Dan Byrne? And and by all accounts a lovely guy, so good luck to him. Um some of friends of the show have met him in a pub in Newcastle. Actually, when they went up to one of the games, he just strolled into Brewdog and um, and just saw they were Brighton fans and chatted to them. Had a really nice chat for ten fifteen minutes. Got some photos and went on his way. Um, so good luck to him. A nice guy, but um, not to Newcastle overall though. <laughs> um, well, I don't think the fact that it's a boyhood club, everybody was quite happy. Yeah, that yeah that's on there. Nice. and I think it was a, a Brighton. The fee we got, I thought, was a fair fee for him, about about four times what we paid for him. Um, so that was reasonable, and it gave him the chance to to live his boyhood dream. And I think everybody was satisfied. Newcastle and their fans are clearly satisfied. Um, yeah. So all, mm. all 
all good for that. But I, I think it's um, sometimes just taking a break from a game and being able to relook at it, and to, yeah. uh, which is what happened with Hart. I mean, talking about managers and ups and downs, I mean, someone like David Moyes, you know, I mean, very successful at Everton, goes to Manchester United, succeeding Alex Ferguson. Not an easy thing. And yeah. Manchester United seem to have this problem where they have a very successful manager, Bit Busby, and then they get, and then they have real problems trying to replace him. Eventually, uh, get Ferguson, who wasn't doing that well, and then suddenly, just not long before he might have been fired, suddenly starts hitting a form. And, and, and David, David Moyes at West Ham has done uh, was a good fit for West Ham, even though there was some apprehension, and he's also not a good fit at the moment because they've been struggling. Funnily enough, at the same club, but, <clears throat> but that is. But how much is that the, the European competition factor? Yeah, to be fair, it's a, it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it, I think. And people have just gone off the boil slightly, plus all that fatigue. It's why Liverpool are struggling so badly this season. And to a, to a certain degree, Man City as well, I think. I mean, there's a friend who's a Man City supporter who said they've lost their last three away games. I hadn't mm. actually knew they'd lost games. I hadn't realised it the last three actual away games, one in the cup and two in the league. Yeah. So. Well, you mentioned managers, and obviously I, I mentioned earlier um, that uh, Jesse Marsh had been sat by Leeds, and it, it seems like the Raya Vallecano manager, Iniola, might be coming in, Iriola, sorry, who's um, who's got them up to fifth in La Liga. Um, one person they won't be going for is Sean Dyche, because he's already gone to Everton, which, although it's maybe a change of philosophy for Everton, it's um, not that they've got a very clear philosophy, but I, I think it's probably the le- the least exciting they could have gone for, but it's probably the most practical and the most likely to get them to survive. And what a start. They beat the the, the five-point clear leaders, Arsenal, 1-0. And it, from the highlights, which can be misleading, admittedly, the highlights on match of the day suggested they deserved it. They were bombarding their goal until they scored. And, um, of course, what a Man City do? They failed to take advantage and lose to their bogey team, Tottenham. But, uh, I mean, what do you think uh, about it? I mean, isn't that a story that actually... Yeah. Arsenal have a favour done by their arch rivals Tottenham. I know. Bittersweet, <laughs> I think, for, for Spurs fans, that one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. well, also from Arsenal, you know, they, they wouldn't want Tottenham to win, but they are going to win. They want them to beat their nearest people in the table. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Arsenal would, would rather Spurs missed out on the Champions League. And in fact, talking about us slightly half-jokingly, if we're trying to catch the, the Newcastles, we're trying to catch the Spurses as well. And that was a bit annoying from our point of view, because it's feasible we could overtake Spurs this season um so i'd rather in one sense that they would have lost to city would have made the title race a bit closer as well i suppose um unfortunately in football you can't have both teams in the one game losing it's a great shame you can't have yeah yeah Yeah, which is what would be the perfect result you know yeah tottenham losing man city losing but anyway um moving on to sort of um players and things are some of the brighton players some of the I mean, Ben White has done well since his last Arsenal. Dan Byrne has done well. Um, it'd be interesting to see how Trossard has done. Presumer doesn't look in the Tottenham setup the player he was at Brighton. I mean, I've seen him play, and I've seen quite a lot of the things that he was doing at Brighton happening, but not. But he doesn't seem to be getting the regular starts. Um, so, you know, one Cucurello I've already mentioned, which I think have been his family issues. Um, I just think. For certain players, psychologically, going to a, a big six club, just however much that they might dream of it, mm. just isn't right. I th- I don't know how you test a player's mentality for uh, mm. a big six, so that you fit into a big six club. 
And, and you take some coming the other way, somebody like Lamptey was probably not really going to get a run at Chelsea in the right back position, given the uh, that time strength that they had there. Obviously, James for you know, for one. Um, but then you know, he came down to us and until his injury was you know, really lighting up the Premier League. And he's only just now getting back, beginning to get back to close to his attacking um, sort of highlights, I suppose, if that's the right word. But mm-hmm. he's, he's get, just getting that, that verb back. But he's mm-hmm. still not quite at that same pace mm-hmm. that he had. But you know, I think he's, I think he's benefiting under Roberto. And March, of course, is is the person who's really been set free by Roberto. I mean, you know, he's almost a different player. Yeah, and that might make the difference in us getting into Europe. We have gone back up to sixth. We did go down to seventh after Fulham drew with Chelsea on Friday night, which was probably the best result for us because it. Although it meant Fulham going temporarily ahead, it meant if we get a result against Bournemouth, we go back ahead of them. So we are we gained two points on both of those sides, and we've also gained points on Liverpool, who are still below us. I think they're now f- uh, four or five points behind us, and um, they lost three nil to Wolves. I, I don't mind them losing because we want to gain ground on Liverpool, but three nil kind of takes the edge off Arwood a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, but. Um, in other, very quickly, though, Raymond, just just steering things away from that because we've only got a few more minutes we want to wrap up in, don't we? Um, any other news from the weekend? I was going to say if you've got anything, throw it in. But I wanted to get your opinion on very quickly on the transfer window, whether you felt we did well enough with it. Um, we've got four players in, some of whom are developmental signings. Obviously, this this guy Ayari looks like a a talent. He might be integrated in the first team in the second half of this season. Buenanote, we've we've seen who who was tied up actually before the window and then just formalised as soon as it opened. Um, he he's already come on and made his debut as a late sub, as we mentioned. Um, so I, I'm pretty pleased with what we signed, but do you, are you disappointed with what we haven't signed? Um, and what's your take on Caicedo? Well, around that. Why don't we start with the Caicedo? I, I I mean, there was a part of me would have been quite pleased if. You know, if Arsenal come back with an 80 million and we sold him for 80 million, if only because selling a player for 80 million would have been you know, something I would have never have dreamt of. And yeah. I've been going to watch I, I didn't dream of turning down 70s. <laughs> really? yeah. that's, a, that's incredible. But, but, in its own right. but yes, but, I get your point. But I've been first went to watch in early 1958, so that's a, <laughs> that's all 60 years ago, um, or more than. And, um, you know, to actually be selling, even having players of that sort of caliber, I think he'll go in the summer. Uh, I, I mean, that's my my reading. I think everybody accepts that. I think the club accepts that. That's the impression one gets. Uh, Roberto did say you know, the best thing for all of us is that you know, he stays for the end of the season till the end of the season, and then changing at the end of the season. Yeah, you know, that's a different matter. He wants to change club, so. Roberto, before the, the Arsenal bids came in, uh, and it was about the time the Chelsea bid came in, did sort of um, give the green light to, yeah, you can go, you can go in the summer. Hmm. In spite of that, uh, you know, Brighton saying well, he is not for sale now, quite definitely, Arsenal still progressed, which uh, putting in one offer, one could understand the second offer didn't seem to make sense given that we were saying he's not for sale 
Yeah, um, the Arsenal fans I know were getting irritated with the fact they wasted time on what was clearly a dead duck deal. Um, other people, it caused damage, if anything, to the relationship. But other people have quoted for pundits and ex-players have sort of said, but we should have accepted the Arsenal. But what, 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 <laughs> what was the what was the should be about it? You know, yeah. They assume that clubs like Brighton, Bournemouth, Southampton, ought to sell to the big six, because they're the big six. I mean, what a conceit. I mean, if that is the attitude of the clubs, the big six clubs, then they should start with minus 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get on to Man City a little bit on this subject in a moment. Yeah, but but on the... No club has a divine right to anything. There's no. no great thing about the Premier League is that no club has a divine right to be in the Premier League. And no, it's not always um, the same clubs. You do get a, a Leicester suddenly coming up and winning, or a Derby, or a Notts Forest going back and, and past, um, in, or a Ipswich. So all of these things have happened. You know, an unfashionable club comes up and is, is successful for a short period of time. Yeah. And that's the great joy of it. And it very rarely happens in any other league. I mean, it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, you know, but yeah. there's not really going to be anybody outside of those two or three. It might happen once in a while. Well, Italy is a little bit more thing because you have the two, two Milans, you've got Juventus, and, and uh, used to, days gone by, Torino were a force. Mm-hmm. Napoli have, have yeah, been yeah. successful. Roma, etc. There are a few. Um, in Germany, Again, it's only two or three clubs, but most leagues you go through and it's the same three or four clubs mm. at most. The Premier League, God knows who can win it. Man, that's it. It's, it's, yeah. it's an ongoing challenge, really. And to, but, yeah, as you said, I'll, I'll, I don't see why everyone's very entitled, including the pundits, seem to be quite entitled about what they think we should do. What we need to do is what we keep doing, which is the right thing. We keep doing the right thing in terms of transfer policy. We're not going to get everything right, but we certainly were right not to sell him in this window. And I think that the fans have taken quite a bit of heed in the notion that the the, the agent was behind that social media tweet to try and engineer or to preempt the move. I think he's. Uh, I think he's. He said that he. Yeah, he said he said he he helped he helped. Um, script the message. Well, he wrote the message, didn't he? Basically, <laughs> and um, well, that's been, uh, near out. It's, there's, uh, one, there's one guy at um, I think it's called um, um, I can't remember what they're called now. Something football football divisional or something, aren't they? Um, yeah, whoever the guy is that's working them. It it, it it was a poorly poorly managed scenario. I think the fans have largely forgiven that particular act because the reception both when he was warming up as a substitute on a couple of occasions and when he came on the pitch against Bournemouth in that game uh, were very favourable, very warm, very loud in their appreciation of him. I think he was a bit not quite knowing how to take it. He wasn't sure if he should applaud or you know, or how, how warmly he should receive the warm welcome or not he might have felt a bit awkward perhaps but um it was it was a really good reception for him and i hope that he and we can just get on with the business at hand until the summer where i i agree with you he will get sold um what i'm hoping is that um it will be an amicable and and also a very good price but an amicable deal whoever it it is in the end but uh, people are gradually learning what we're about aren't they and I think the other good thing was that Paul Barber in the programme did actually ask people to give him a good reception. 
So Which Roberto had said in, in the press as well during the week. And Dunkers that the players are behind him and support him of them. So, you know, I think the club and all the, everybody connected with the club is doing everything. Why, obviously, a, a really serious injury apart, um, the uh, agents will say, oh, another opportunity like this um, you know, may, may never come again. And obviously, injuries... Not very confident in their client, then. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, does he not think he's good enough to... You know, if he stays fit and things, he's not good enough to get another offer or, or, or like that. I mean, if I was Casino and I had seen that comment with that obvious caveat, I would think, oh, well, this guy doesn't really believe in me. Yeah, because it's not as if he's 29 or 30 and he's got one more significant move and one more significant payday in terms it of science, is it? Just 21. Yeah, yeah, only just 21, I think, isn't he, as well? Yeah. Well, we've got a conscious time, Raymond. We've got to wrap it up in a moment, but I've got to ask you about one more subject before we finish, which is about some news that's broken this week to do with Manchester City. I won't go into the details now too much, other than to say there's a reported 100 or so... Um, more, more, alleged, more than 100. More than 100, 100 alleged offences dating back from 2009 through to 2018, which is the period that they've been under scrutiny for. The investigation started in 2018, and it's only now that they've come to the, their full conclusions. And they're they're accusing City of essentially multiple breaches to do with, um, do, well, to do with deceptive sponsorship um, arrangements. They're not allowed to be sponsored by themselves because that's cheating FFP. And there's a suggestion that might be the case. Something to do with declaring all. Um, payments to players' income, something to do with um, wages of people like coaches. I think Mancini in particular was mentioned being between two companies. So someone else is paying half the money, which of course turns out to be uh, someone affiliated with. Yeah, that's that's the accusations. Um, Obviously, this depends if they're found guilty on this. It does sound like there's a hell of a lot of accusations out there. So it suggests they probably are guilty of something. Raymond, you're famous for your what we call your Raymondisms, which are your ultra harsh, well not harsh, ultra um ultra strict um punishments. Um simple, effective, straight to the point. What have you got in mind for this one? If they well, should be found I guilty. Mean, I mean, first of all, the good thing is that part of the things on the UEFA um thing, uh some of the evidence that the PL being able to look at uh, had been time barred, but for the UEFA one. So the UEFA one, we're only looking at about four years. Yeah, they've got a remit. Um, they've got a um, statute of limitation, haven't they? Which is five yes, years. Whereas the Premier League don't. So a whole lot got out under the wall, which UEFA weren't able to look at. Yeah, which was yeah. crazy. Anyway, stupid. Um, I think from that viewpoint, if somebody's transgressed, you can't say, "Oh well, that was." I think that, you know, some of them were literally sort of two, you know, a week or so before the, the deadline. I mean, look at them in, in total. Don't try and say we can't look at this, you can't look at that. You either look at it and examine it or you don't. Um, it's quite clear from, from what people like Kieran Maguire were saying that they have um, Endesfield, which is a you know, high-quality German paper, uh, that they've got it. I mean, one of the things that the Man City are crying farmers is that... Uh, they got some of these emails because they hacked illegally. Well, you know, it's uh, the fact that you hadn't hidden them, you know, doesn't mean to say that they've come to light. Perhaps they, they shouldn't have hacked illegally, but nonetheless they did. And th- th- those emails exist. And uh, 
you know, I think that's that's just tough. Um, I think it's a difference in culture because I think that in that part of the world, if you are a boss, if you own something, I think there is a tendency to think that it's your business and you can do what the hell you want. And if you choose to pay half of somebody's salary out of company A and half out of company B, that's your business. Uh, as long as they declare all their income, you're not bothered. And there used to be a time when people could be employed in Britain um, who were foreigners who had part of their duties were in England or Britain and part of their duties were international, but that international office was based in the UK. And that so you could have a contract for your UK duties and you could have a contract for your non-UK duties, perfectly legally and everything else. Yeah. Uh, that, I think, is now sort of loopholes being closed in a sense, but it was a legitimate loophole. And mm-hmm. I think it's been born, some of the things that sort of arrangements we're talking about have been born out of that, I suspect, culture. And obviously, if you were somebody who was non-domiciled under the old rules, which finally started changing in 2008, again in about 16, um, you were doing it so that you income you were taxed um, on your income arising or remitted to Britain and any gains made in Britain. So as long as you kept certain things offshore, you could do so. So typically, if you wanted to get a mortgage on a house in England and you had those sort of contracts, you would have a mortgage with a Jersey bank, for the sake of argument. It might be a mainstream one you know, a NatWest or a Barclays or Lloyd's or whatever. So you were paying from your overseas income into the Jersey branch. What you had to do your mortgage, and you weren't having to remit it to Britain to pay for the mortgage over here. So you only, your pay package was structured, you had enough money to live on in Britain and uh, apply to your duty. So if you're working three days a week in Britain, two days a week somewhere else, you could have 60% and 40%. Yeah, so that's where I think it's been born out of, yeah. and it was perfectly legitimate, you know, sensible tax planning. Um, but it has to be a genuine situation. Yeah, and this is this has got to be um, fitting the financial fair play rules because it, it, it's, it's someone from throwing ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. And, and, this is, and this is different from tax. And if, and if you own a company, you're probably saying, "Hold on, I'm not doing anything illegal. Why should yeah. I be penalised for it?" And I suspect that people at their own club you know, resent the fact that they're having to do something different from what legally and, and every other way they are able to do. Yeah, and yeah, I think they're signing up for the Premier League, which has those rules that prevent that. That's that's the issue. If they have an issue with that, they shouldn't have, shouldn't, shouldn't get involved in the Premier League, surely, because it's <laughs> Premier League rules. And it looks like the Premier League is going to go to town with them. Now, it, it could be anything from fi- fines, which they won't, won't care about, um, to points deductions, to transfer embargoes, uh, to other restrictions. Or, or, or even, in or, quote, quoting through an article uh, read today, yeah. uh, and I think, I, I think it's Kieran Maguire, actually, right. uh, actually saying could even be thrown out of the Premier League. 
Yeah. And there's no guarantee the EFL would have to, they don't have to accept them in there. So bizarrely, I've been following Worthing as my hometown team. If they manage to get up via the playoffs, which they probably won't, but they might do, they could end up playing Man City next season. (laughs) (laughs) I might go to that game. Um, But no, I'll be joking, it's it's unlikely that'll happen. I I, I just don't think we 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 should roll over. No, I mean, they're, they're flagrantly ignoring a huge number of rules, according to what this report seems to suggest. Um, there's got to be some questions, hasn't I mean, clearly, um, you know, what they... I mean, I think that the, the worst one, in a sense, than the contractual one uh, for the managers and things, is the fact that they were dressing up what clearly appears or been alleged that the money's company owners as either sponsorship or uh, donations from other sources. Yeah. And that, I think, is because that is a, a deliberate deceit as opposed to just having arranged something in a particular way. Yeah. Therefore, um, but... The well, other, they won't uh, take money, from, Apart from the, the income, it, it, it is also all the costs. They've been, on the one hand, saying the income has come from the right sources, so it, it, it meets FFP rules. And the other, they've been reducing the costs and the combination of those two things enabled them to do it and what what was being said in the in the article was that um how much of this you know is going to as the fingers going to be is everybody in the pl starting to point fingers at everybody else if it starts in manchester city is manchester city going to then point at at uh, Manchester United, who then point at Liverpool, who then point at Tottenham, who then point at Chelsea, who then, well, Chelsea, and they all point at Chelsea. And then <laughs> again, I'm thinking uh, of Chelsea at the moment. So that, yeah. I mean, it then becomes yeah. a city. So you, you end up with a sort of a situation where Arsenal get fined uh, or deducted 30 points, Man City get deducted 50 points. Um, and somebody who's only actually got 30 points in the whole season because of all the deductions ends up winning the Premier League. <laughs> By default with an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, what's your Raymondism for this? Do you think they should be thrown well, out I, the, the whole I thing? If they are um, guilty of this, it either has to, I think one of, or a combination of huge deduction of points, yeah. uh, big fine, and transfer embargo for something like six or seven windows. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm well, not saying be all yeah. of those at the maximum, hmm. but some sort of thing. So, yeah. I mean, the formula I came up with is that if you overspend, uh, this is a, on a pure mathematical formula, hmm. that if you overspend in a particular season by 20 million, just for the sake of argument, um, that you get uh, a 10 million quid fine on the first 10 million you ever spent. So you get a fine for on the first 10 million, and, and, and not a huge fine, one or two million, something like that, nominal. On the next 10 points, uh, sorry, the next 20 points up to 30 points, um, you lose a um, point every other game. Next 10 to 20 million pounds, you mean? No, so, so, so. So the first 10 million, you pay a straight fine of a couple of million. Yeah. So between 10 million overspend and 30 million, you end up getting a, a 10 point deduction. 
Right. For <laughs> every point, every million above 30 million, you lose you lose two points. Hmm. Interesting. So if you, if you overspend by the 100 million that Manchester City would have done, I, I worked it out, I haven't reworked it out, but it meant that at the time we were talking with Paul Barber um, hmm. some years ago, that Manchester City, even if they won all the games in the season, would have ended up with only something like like sort of 27, 28 points and would have been relegated. <laughs> yeah. but, any, any, but they would carry forward hmm. any of the points that hadn't been used up in that relegation to the next season in the next league done. So they might start the next season with minus 15 points. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, it may, may need something as extreme as that to prevent people from doing this. Who knows? It weakens the integrity of tournaments a bit when you start starting points. But if people insist on breaking the rules to a flagrantly large I'm, degree, then what... I'm just do? saying it, it's a, it ought hmm. to be a straight mathematical formula. So yeah. there's no argument. It's not arbitrary how much that thing is. It's all laid out in advance. We go, this is what will happen. And if that's what you've ever spent by... Yeah. that's what will happen to you, whoever yeah. you are. It's on a, on a set formula, whatever the set formula is. Well, uh, fair enough. Raymond, we're going to, have to leave it there. Um, interesting ideas. I mean, who knows what will happen? We're, I'm sure I'll talk on the next podcast, which is uh, uh, we've got a preview of the Palace game and we're also going to do a match day special for the Palace game. Uh, I'm sure further debate, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Peter will have something to say about this as well, this Man City scenario and and the referee on the, the Bournemouth game. Um, but I'm sure I've gauging opinions from a number of people, I think it's going to be interesting to see, but I can't imagine there's going to be much sympathy from anyone. No, I mean, if, you know, if they're innocent, fair enough. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, if they're innocent, then fine. But and, I, and it's going, I believe it's... Uh, uh, they've appointed an independent person. Uh, and of course, they'll have the expensive lawyers to, to find no, any loopholes whatsoever. And somebody, um, uh, Rosen K- Casey, who yeah. is going to be yeah. doing it. Um, Casey, we've got to say Casey now, haven't we? Yes, yes, Casey. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he'll be doing it. So I think yeah. from that viewpoint, it's proper. And if uh, a proper independent um, constitutional legal thing, I have to say, uh, my understanding is that if, because it's a domestic thing, it cannot go to somewhere like the Court of Arbitration for Sport. That's right. So I actually think they're possibly not fit for the purpose. <laughs> well, that's a that's so the I, point. I, I that. Some of their decisions, like the one the original one of Man City, was I thought uh, a bit bizarre. Um, I think I might as well put it. I wasn't sure how they arrived there. But some of their other decisions on other things like like transgender and things like that. Uh, totally different sports mm. have not necessarily always been you know that clear and that that obvious so um a, a decision to have made and, uh, you know, and there ought to be it shouldn't you know, i think each sport should have its own top independent panel yeah. And, yeah. but the final thing you want about regulators about, coming in for football i mean you yeah. asked me about the transfer window. i was slightly disappointed in the sense that we didn't bring in more things partly because i would have liked to have um, seen a replacement for Trossard hmm. and, and I would have liked to have seen another defender coming in because I think we're short of resource hmm. um, defensively. We tried to get Matt Vienko, didn't we? But um, 
Yeah, I think it's a shame, but yeah, yeah, there's always more we could have done, definitely. Um, but we move on, and as I said, next up is Palace, our good old friends, and we've actually got a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, so it's not live on TV for a change. Um, recent times, the TV companies have picked up on the uh, the notion that this is a big rivalry, um, but this is going to be, yeah, it's going to be a Saturday kickoff. I'll be there. We'll be doing a preview and a match day special for that one, so that's coming up next. Um, do you think we might get a win, Raymond? I think it's going to be well. Form in, in local derbies like this go straight out of the window, don't? They? Yeah. yeah. As you pointed out the other day uh, on a uh, um, WhatsApp group, um, a sort of WhatsApp group that it is, um, they have quite a tight pitch. Um, the yeah. surface isn't always that great, um, and they do actually. I mean, they're quite a well organised team. They do have a, a very good work yeah. ethic. So, I yeah. think, and you know, obviously playing Brighton, as, as I said at the beginning. Um, is a, you know, they're going to be up for it. So I don't think it's going to be easy. And we're right. still going to be without Ferguson and we're still going to be uh, without Lalana. Yeah, they might be without Zaha by the sounds of it, but they, then they've got players like Elise and Eze who, who are good. So they'll have some creativity as well. Well, Let's hope for the best. So, what do you think? I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm going to have a think about it before I come up with my notion later on the next part. I, so, I mean, I. I wouldn't be too disappointed. If we got some form of result, I'd, I'd probably be not unhappy. I think I'd, I'd be obviously delighted with the win. Yeah. Uh, not be unhappy with the result. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's a tricky one. And, you know, the difficulty is when you're on a good run, you can suddenly hit a banana skin. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Well, um, Raymond, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a while since you've been on, so it's good to get you back on. Uh, thank you very much for your contribution. And um, thank you for the beer as well, which I've really enjoyed. That was the Red Cat oh, Brewing Scratch. Well, thank you. Also, and, and also, you know, thank you for the reference to excellent Japanese meal. Uh, now we know uh, what uh, Matoma uh, is like eating and everything else. So we can <laughs> understand why he, why he flies down the wing so fast. Indeed, yeah, we had some Japanese food together on Friday for anyone that's wondering. Um, yeah, it was very good. I actually enjoyed that. Um, so that, that wraps it up. So thank you again, Raymond. And I'm going to sign out in the usual way by saying, stand or fall, up the Albion. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.